0: Craft size pasteurisers being the next big thing. I think it's interesting he used the word craft size
1: as well. Well, I was about mm. to say
0: pint size and I realised that was stupid.
2: <laughs> that would be a very small. <laughs> but that'd be a bucket of hot water. <laughs> <I> know, <right. laughs>
0: Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on the fifth of May, twenty twenty-two. I'm your host, not Matt Kierkegaard. I'm Sabrina Kunz and this week, um, because our fearless leader is over at CBC bringing back all the news out of the US, I'm joined by Brews News Senior Journalist Claire Burnett. Hi Claire.
1: Hey Sabrina.
0: And our special ring-in Ian Watson. Hi Ian.
1: Hey
2: Sabrina.
0: Um, So for everybody else, um, Ian has been a brewer at every second brewery that's ever been in Queensland and is currently at Ballistic and he's joining us at HQ for this week's chat. So as usual, we're going to head over to uh, Claire at HQ at the news desk to give us all the news in the brewing industry. Mm-hmm. So Claire, Feral set to stay in Coca-Cola portfolio.
1: Absolutely. So this was a little bit of breaking news uh, on the brews news front this week. Given that Coca-Cola Europe Pacific partners uh, previously, c- literally a couple of months ago, suggested they were planning on offloading Feral Brewing Co. in WA as part of their planned exit of beer and cider products in Australia. However, in a Fairly impressive U-turn. They have now decided uh, that they will be keeping Feral within the group. Uh, And this was released in a statement to the London Stock Exchange last week. Um, So an interesting move there from Coca-Cola.
0: Biggest year on record for ABAC?
1: So ABAC released its annual report this week. This is all for 2021. Had a record workload. So in terms of uh, complaints, pre-vetting, it was the biggest since 1998. So. They're doing a hell of a lot of work there. Um, Throughout the year, there were 288 complaints, resulting in 153 determinations by an ABAC panel, which Harry Jenkins said uh, serve as an important guidance as to how the code should be interpreted and used to produce responsible marketing. There's quite a few interesting points that come from that as well um, with regards to who is um, being complained about and Mm -hmm. what the complaints were about. So we'll have a chat about that uh, below the fold.
0: Yeah, definitely big year. Mm -hmm. Um, So next one, Online Sales Excel. Right at Cole's Liquor?
1: As we've seen, actually, Sabrina, with a number of people uh, within the brewing industry and the wider um, alcohol retail industry, Cole's Liquor, owner of First Choice and Liquorland Bottle Shops, reported growth in revenue and a huge jump in online sales. Uh, sales g- revenue grew uh, 2.9% to $781 million in the third quarter, and liquor e-commerce sales grew 50.1% for the quarter to $33 million. Obviously, they are the smaller version of Endeavour Group, but following some similar patterns there as well. Uh, And also following some similar patterns uh, in the brewing industry is Urban Alley, who are set to open their second brewery. They're opening the $5 million second venue and brewery in the Westfield-Knox Ozone Precinct next week, looking at growing production capacity overall as they um, expand nationally. And they've also brought in a gin distillery by Tasmanian producers Dasher and Fisher. Uh, So... This new brewery will allow Urban Alley to expand their production capacity to around about 1.3 million litres annually.
0: Dan Murphy's MD steps down.
1: He has indeed, so we've seen a few moves like this in the past year. Endeavour Group has advised this week that Alex Freudman has resigned from his role as managing director at Dan Murphy's to return home to the United Kingdom. He will remain in the role for six months and recu- recruitment for his replacement has commenced. Uh, let's know if you if you've got any tips on that one, I'm excited. <laughs>
0: So, um, some, a couple of um, articles that have come in over the night, uh, last night, and you'll see them drop in the next couple of days, um, if not already up. Um, so, reporting live out of the US Craft Brewers Conference, our coverage supported by our good friends at Rawlings Label Stickers and Packaging. Um, we've got two articles, um, Claire, from Matt.
1: We have indeed. We've managed to draft him in, do some Do, do some, some work. old school journalism. <laughs> exactly. So, Matt sent these in overnight. Um, he's obviously been attending all the the conferences um and just as we said last week doing it so you don't have to the first one uh, was in relation to craft size pasteurizers um called the next big thing uh smaller and more affordable pasteurizers will have the same impact on brewing that compact canning lines did according to canning line manufacturer cody um the company is showcasing its newly developed pasteurizers at the craft brewers conference um and they told brews news that interest had been really high from craft brewers uh Sales manager Andrew Ferguson um, told Matt, we've watched the transition in the past 10 years or so uh, to people getting canning lines and the way that it became so popular is a lot of manufacturers brought the cost down and made it more approachable. I think we're on the cusp of that happening with Pasteurize right now, uh, where people didn't need to think that they, oh, well, people didn't think they had the budget or the footprint or the understanding of what they, what were needed. And now they do. Um, so watch out for that one. I'm well, definitely keen to get Ian's take on that one. Yeah, below the fold, I'm <laughs> sure we've got some things to say, Ian. Absolutely. Uh, and another one from Matt, uh, craft trends predicted to reach mainstream menus. So um, the hottest beer styles inside the uh, beer craft beer bubble have barely made a dent in mainstream beer lists in the US. Um, the Craft Brewers Conference has been told, but this could start to change. Uh, In his presentation data, uh, data analyst Kyle Chamberlain looked at how different the trends in the craft beer bubble were from those in the mainstream restaurant industry. So it's really data-driven research looking at the styles that were seen in the craft brewers side of things versus the mainstream restaurants and comparing them and contrasting them. So there's some really surprising results in there. So if you haven't had a look, go and have a look. Um, It's been published today on Thursday. Uh, So you might be listening today. You might be listening tomorrow. But go and check it out. Um, Let us know what you think about that.
0: Cool. Well, um, that's nice and tight news. Without Matt, we're just flying through the news. (laughs) Um, And so we're going to go below the fold um, and have a chat about all of those. But if you need to get on with your workday, your brew schedule, that's all the news that you need to know. So we're now going to go below
1: the fold. Okay, Feral, anybody got any comments? Um, so this was really interesting. So we've known this has been happening for quite a while, but I could get no confirmation um, from Coca-Cola. They were tight-lipped about this one. Thankfully, uh, you know how Bain says he was born in the dark? I was born on the London Stock Exchange this is where I learnt my trade. So good luck trying to hide something on the LSE. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's where that's where we found it. And actually, thanks to Sabrina on that suggestion because uh, she was like, are they listed anywhere? And I was like, oh, yeah, shit, they are. Let's go. <laughs> um, so this was like a kind of a sneaky one because we have been waiting for that for a while. And um, we do have some friends uh, in that kind of area uh, who are very willing to tell us. But really interesting move are, uh, There's been some suggestions that it was because Farrell couldn't find a buyer. What do we think on that?
2: It doesn't surprise me at all because um, when it was put out that it was probably for sale, I just couldn't think who was going to be in the position to want to buy it at the money that – Coca-Cola Coke would have needed to get from it to to recoup whatever they need to recoup? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And
0: it's it's um we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I was speaking to someone who's a former marketer that was there when, you know, the Biggie Juice launched and they were talking about just what a massive move it was for Feral, how that became so household at all the festivals. It was just such a big launch and then we've basically heard since it was purchased mm-hmm. Not much out of yeah. Feral for a yeah. long
1: time. and They just haven't invested in it as well as they could, as well as they should have.
0: Well, they've lost any of the value that was there and yeah. now they want to sell it probably for what they – at minimum what they paid for yeah. it. And that they've, they've stripped the value out of it because they haven't kept the brand – strong mm-hmm. um, and so you know you could see that it wasn't going to sell
2: yeah. yeah it certainly hasn't been in in our face um, at all in the in the, in the intervening years mm-hmm. and like who who would be in a position to want to buy that to spend tens of millions of dollars mm-hmm. in australia to have that there the ones that probably are in a position to, they've already got brands. Yeah, yeah. they've already got uh, brands. They're, they're got chock brands. full
1: in um, their portfolios. Like, they're massive. And while actually some of their portfolios could do with a bit more of a WA presence, Feral just might not fit the bill
0: it's, for it's, those exact reasons. It's such a shame, though. I, I mean, I did wonder whether they were just going to, you know, wind it up, sell off the, sell off the plant and equipment and be... Oh,
1: that's so sad. Don't say that. Well,
0: so you said, what was the one in the US where this happened? Um, The really large one and it was purchased and then it got dri- – Oh, then,
2: that was only last year. Yeah, um, and then it- Bridgeport.
0: Bridgeport. <laughs> well done. <laughs> <laughs> well done.
2: We can also see it here in Australia with, with Blue Tongue um, and the changes of ownership in Blue Tongue there and they built this beautiful big new brewery yeah. um, not that many years ago. Completely stripped it out, packed it down, followed Ooh. it up, wrecked it.
1: Yeah. Well, Um, it's just, I mean... Matilda Bay style, some might say. though that's been resurrected. Well,
0: it's this question of, you know, like what is something worth, right? And it's Mm -hmm. worth what the market's willing to pay for it. And so if you've stripped any of that brand equity out, which is the, you know, the multiples on a value, then, um, you know, what you're left with is plant and equipment, right? And so Coca-Cola have you know, they've divested themselves of everything else in beer and cider and kept this one.
1: But it is interesting. Um, I did look at the wider groups um, accounts as well. And it was really interesting when during COVID, uh, Feral was performing pretty well and the rest of their soft drinks businesses was performing quite poorly. Mm. They really made a big deal of Feral in their results. They got like a little page in their investor presentation and things. So they can make them look good. And they use that even though Feral is a tiny, tiny, Tiny little drop in the ocean of Coca Cola. Well, um, Ferrell could
0: be back, baby. Maybe, be we're back. Gonna, maybe we're going to see it resurrected, and
1: yeah, because there's going to be a three year plan. I want to. I really want to. I'm excited to see what they're going to do with it because the options were for them: sell it or do, actually do something with yeah, it. Yeah, that's right.
2: The, the other thing is too: we're probably not looking at Ferrell's position quite right anymore because we're looking at it from inside a hardcore beer geek group. Yes, that's yeah. right. So they're they're possibly selling multiples of the amount of beer that they were when Coke bought it, Mm -hmm. it's just now it's through different channels. So I'm now not going into the craft specialist bar and seeing Feral. It's now in um, other places and they're actually selling more products. And and maybe
0: they have changed their, you know, you used to see it advertised and marketed, you know, on the East Coast for sure. And maybe they've just changed where they are advertising and marketing. So that splash marketing that they were doing a few years ago is gone and so we think Mm -hmm. it's gone, but actually it's still you know, ticking away away. quite nicely, yeah. Mm. Um, Right. Uh, biggest year on record for ABAC.
1: Yeah. this is Love a bit of ABAC.
0: Well, this is my first thought when this popped up and um, was if it's the biggest year on ABAC, how is ABAC's funding keeping up with the work that it needs to do given um, the number of complaints? And so, so um, I started clicking through um, the actual annual report and having a look at some of the detail. And so... You know, who are the signatories? And I think, um, you know, this is one where I think smaller breweries uh, or breweries that are not members of the Brewers Association need to take a good look because um, the Independent Brewers Association is not a signatory to ABAC. Mm-hmm. And yet if we were to say who are the entities that are being brought before ABAC with complaints and utilising the service and utilising a service that is funded by industry in part to prevent regulators stepping in and enforcing their own code, um, it's going to be smaller to medium breweries. And of course there is the fee-for-service aspect of it with the pre-vetting that can be used and 18% of pre-vetting services were used by non-ABAC signatories. Um, And so, you know, it's just one of those things, everybody's strung out for a dollar, but our largest independent breweries at a minimum, if the IBA are not going to sign up, really should consider putting some funding um, and supporting ABAC so that we are preventing this structural potential where if, mm-hmm. if it cannot keep up with the level of demand required of it, government is going to have to step in.
1: Yep. Yeah. And it's already, it's really interesting that um, we reported on it last year, but they signed a memorandum of understanding with uh, the licensing authorities in Victoria. Uh, they've also signed it now with the licensing authorities in South Australia. So that means if you are um, in breach of an ABAC code, mm-hmm. uh, any one of them, uh, they can actually have real world consequences for you. It's not just a letter saying, please, can you change this? It's a... You could get fined. You could have a beer band. Like there's like actual things that could happen because of this. So it's within our interest to be involved in that.
2: Absolutely. Yep. Is that uh, what you found in? Uh, I I think um, that as as a group, um, the IBA, I'd be very much in favour of us all joining ABAC. Um, I don't see any reason against Money. doing it.
0: Dollar dollar bills. Like yeah, right, that's the problem. I'm yeah. get. Uh, my guess would be that the financial contribution required as a signatory is such that the IBA hasn't been able to fund it, which then comes into like... Somebody's got to fund it. Well then
2: that's that's kind of on A, back to some degree then. Do they do they want Yes, yeah, so their signatories do they do they want us to contribute in some way? Yep. Um if they put us on the same terms as the big guys, maybe we can't do it mm-hmm. and then they that's lose That's exactly. It. yeah, yeah. So they might have to negotiate. To be yeah. For that, that, yeah. yeah. Well,
0: well that's what we were talking about. Um
2: It's it's a little if you look at it just like any sales thing, it's better to get something yep. for something mm-hmm. than nothing.
0: Uh, agreed completely and that's yeah. why I sort of thought, well, look, if the IBA, if it becomes too controversial, certainly it doesn't look like it was part of their 10-year roadmap as a sort of a step to take, but it seems like a pretty critical one in terms of sort of fortifying the regulatory environment that we're mm-hmm. in and keeping kind of the box, you know, it's better the devil you know. Right? Yes, If absolutely. we engage in this one sort of in a practical way and so, you know, to your point, my first thought was um, – a, if you are a signatory, you get a discount on your pre-vetting. So it was the classic, you know, you save yourself about $100. Um, so if you are a large brewery, um, a large independent brewery, you can become a signatory in your own right. Of course, we've got no concept of what the the dollar contribution requirements yep. are. but and I
1: have asked that previously and, of course, they were <laughs> – not okay with telling us, which is fine. Yeah, (laughs) I'm sure because they've (laughs) got... Makes sense why. They've got like individual negotiations with each of these organisations, which is why I'm sure that they could negotiate that Um, with the IBA.
2: Um, Probably one of the difficult things from the IBA... Uh, side in that there is maybe many of us that are, are willing to say yep sure we should be doing this there's many reasons for doing it but then what happens with the consequences so if an IBA member uh, yep. is in breach yep. of yes. ABAC yep. uh, what does the IBA do? Do mm. they wave their fingers and say you're you're naughty little exactly. brewers yes, or do we have to true. remove these people from there and at a stage where the IBA is trying to bring everyone together and get yep. as many members Absolutely. as possible is that a disincentive? Yep. But then again maybe we just have to Wave that stick from time to time, yeah, and people then fall out from the IBA, and they no longer get the benefits of being and in, the IBA. in the
0: IBA. It's, I mean, it's the classic, you know, democracies within a membership organisation. The size of the IBA, with this in terms of number of members, is so complex and so difficult. Um, and that's, you know, they're consulting on the roadmap right now. But it, there comes a point at which you have to take that leadership position that says we need this. For the industry to function correctly, and we have to be seen, we have to be seen to be supporting it and supporting it. I mean, it's the same with, you know, that, that they went down the path of instituting a standards of conduct that says if you don't meet mm-hmm. the standards of conduct, we're going to kick you out of the IBA. Yep. So it can it's be done.
2: Just, it's just in just in line with that. And then, um, if that does happen, and, and for an unfortunate reason, someone is removed because the IBA has gone down that path and Mm -hmm. someone has been in breach and they're not willing to to go back in with it, uh, it's just setting a higher standard of what what, um, being a certified independent brewery through that organisation means. That's that's a great point. That just value adds back to those that are sitting within the framework of -hmm. of the IBA. And
0: and in fairness, Claire, it's not like whenever you've reported on somebody who – an organisation that's been in breach, the vast majority of the time people – ah, uh, we should have learnt more, we should have looked at... Like, the yep. vast majority of time, people aren't belligerent about it, right? No, they're no, like, yeah, we're in so breach and yep, we just... To do the right thing, they, let's they, yeah. they sort of yeah. go
1: from between, oh my God, I didn't realise this was a thing, yeah. which is usually the new entrance, yeah. all the way to, oh, we really thought we were doing okay and we never wanted to be in breach of it. Usually it falls between that spectrum. Yeah, There's if, the odd, and it is noteworthy when people either don't respond at all Yes, or they sp- respond belligerently and yeah. they're like... F U F this this is crap. and that's
0: a very 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 – very... fun to read. <laughs> but to you, to your point, um, Ian, that is such a small minority that in fact um, it's tiny. Yeah, it's I, tiny. I don't
2: think it's it's um I don't think it's a concern because those that do are mm-hmm. probably ones that w- the rest of us don't yeah. want to be in the same club as anyway. <laughs> so that's fine. And, and, fair enough, and fair it's,
0: enough. You know, you can be in breach. I mean, obviously, you, you know, and the reason this rolls back to the funding is we um we bruise and use had a had – a, I don't know how to frame this – had a concept for how ABAC could perhaps um, communicate some of its lessons differently than the platforms that they currently offer. Um, and essentially ABAC's said, we don't have the resources to do that. And so it comes back to, you know, the people that don't know that need to be educated, um, maybe there are new ways of doing that, but ABAC are currently – under under the pump in terms of resource constraints, mm-hmm. in terms of communicating some of that out. And so it's this sort of virtuous circle, right? A yeah, little bit more funding, a little bit better education, a yeah. little bit less need and is, so on and so forth.
2: Is ABAC entirely privately funded? Yes. Through its members. So yes. this is where it, it would be probably good for the government to do some contribution to it because then it does save the government in having to set their own it, thing up there.
1: It does. The, the Imagine the cost to the government of that. They'd hate that. Oh, yeah, that, that'd be hate that. But, that oh would be massive. And then that
2: would roll down to everyone, right yeah. down to the consumer. So if Matt <laughs> was here,
0: um, and I don't want to speak for him, but my guess <laughs> is that he would say part of the reason that that doesn't occur is that there are other bodies that are still – making the claim that this system, notwithstanding that they use this system mm-hmm. all the time, they actually complain to it regularly, um, that they uh, still maintain their position to government that a industry-based uh, regulation system can't work and so government won't hand over the funds yeah. or provide any support because of the countervailing um, yeah.
1: political arguments.
2: Well that's where we just need to petition back to government and petition Absolutely. again said that this is something that we can do and we can save the government money. Which would it be even no. stronger if Ah, the save the, uh, the
1: money thing, they like that Yeah,
2: yeah. And yeah. it would
0: be even stronger if the IBA were members.
2: Absolutely Yes.
1: So look at us, oh,
2: full We're solving Love it all, it. all Love
1: it.
0: <laughs> Right, um this one probably not a whole lot, but um, online sales accelerate. Mm-hmm. So that's
1: we knew, we knew that we knew that's that was happening, happening everywhere. Um, it, always important to keep an eye on your online sales. Obviously, a lot of breweries are under took them during COVID and have either carried them on or sort of changed them in some sort of way, but still have a version. There's some upcoming rules we're going to be looking at um, with regards to deliveries, online sales, all that kind of stuff as well. So um, while this is happening and it's growing fast, we also need to make sure that we evolve as fast with it in terms of responsible service of alcohol and lots of other um, things. Yeah. So, um, but like I say, Cole's Liquor is like the baby of the market, isn't it? It's like the second player that everyone forgets about. Um, just because Endeavor's so frigging big. So big. So big. But they're just as bad in terms of private label, which mm-hmm. I always bang on about. But um, yeah, yeah. Interest, interesting one. Have you
0: guys experienced it. increased
1: e-commerce?
2: Uh, I don't have that side. Yeah. <laughs> I don't to do with that side of any business I've worked for. You know what? Um, we don't have to deal you, with mate. that. I, yeah, I, I, imagine that.
1: Imagine having to deal with that as well. As
2: yeah. I, just, I, I, I just make beer. I just help make beer and help, help the people making the beer make the beer.
1: Course. <laughs> yes. Wherever it goes after that is, yes. That's someone else's job. I'm, I'm
2: interested in it, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's not my field. So
0: is there anything anybody wants to touch on before we start hitting pasteurizers? pasteurisers? And-
1: uh, nah, I'm good. I think the other ones are self-explanatory. Unless yeah, they you wanted to.
0: So um, as we mentioned at the top, um, Matt Kierkegaard is over attending the US Brewers um, Conference and so he's going to be reporting out over the next week and um, the coverage of that reporting is supported by Rowling's Label Stickers and Packaging, who you guys hear a lot about on this pod, um, which means that I can very – seamlessly, seamlessly uh, move into a bit of a promo for Rowling's label Stickers and Packaging who are able to not only supply labels for your cans or bottles but they can also supply printed or blank cartons, can trays, tap. Decals, decals, barcodes, and shrink <laughs> sleeves already applied to empty beer cans ready for filling. The guys often get asked where would the brewery buy a shrink sleeving machine to apply the sleeves to the cans, but that's not needed. The cans come to your door palletized and ready to fill, nothing more to do. So give them a call on 1 852 235 to discuss this further or find their details in um the News Directory, um, and you will see them helping us with our coverage
1: of the conference. So um, on that note, just one thing. Yes, one interesting thing I learned the other week about shrink sleeves. Yes, someone wrote in and asked. I thought that shrink sleeves were like worse for the environment, you had to go straight into landfill, and I was like, oh, I don't, I don't think I've heard that before. So I asked the guys at Rowlings and uh, apparently. It doesn't matter whether you get like a printed label stuck on or a shrink sleeve, it all gets melted off at a certain point. Like it gets burnt off and then the metal melts at a higher temperature. So it doesn't matter what you have, it all goes into the same pot.
0: So the environmental impact of a can coming with a shrink sleeve versus applying a label is the Mm -hmm.
1: same? I mean, I would have to look into, like, emissions from a shrink sleeve versus a printed label, but that's a bit granular <laughs> for me right now. Um, but but yeah, it so doesn't it, interfere with the recycling no, process. It, yeah. it doesn't go into landfill, is what the thing is. Very cool. Yeah, there you go. Just a little tidbit there for you,
0: Sabrina. Oh, nice you little sustainability yeah. piece. <laughs> so, Ian, um, you're going to be the guru on this question around... Um, Pasteurizers, mini pa- cra- craft size pasteurizers being the next big thing. I think it's interesting he used the word craft size as well. Well, I was about mm. to say pint size and I realized that was stupid.
2: <laughs> that would be a very small, <laughs> but that'd be a bucket of hot water. No, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: don't they have like a, is it a sous vide? Do you know the little hot bath yeah. things yeah, in kitchen? You could yeah, 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 you can do that. Just an urn, you know, <laughs> a
2: bottle at a time. Um, the, the very smallest pasteurizers actually do work that way. Um, I have worked at a brewery with a Tiny pasteuriser, um, a batch size pasteuriser wow. um, that is essentially a big dipping thing of water, and you dip all the, all the bottles in there, and wow. that was that was it. Very um, inefficient, yes. Very, um, very ineffective. Very damaging to the beer's quality um, yeah. because you just had no control over the amount of pasteurisation, or very little control over yeah. the amount of pasteurisation. Do you think you're that's applying. where
1: the this reputation pasteurising has got for being like a wrecking beer? Is that kind of thing Possibly where that's come from? Maybe some
2: of that, and look, like all technologies, they get better and better over time, and it yeah, does. Right. It applies to you know the technology and to how you're using it, and very much I believe onto the product that you're using it on. Yeah. Um, so when people say about being able to taste pasteurised or you know that it's pasteurised or not, um, in my experience, yes, there'll be people that argue back with me, but I'll say it also depends on the product too. Mm. So you get a really well-made. Um, light style lager um, and you've got a really good pasteurizer, and you run it through, the difference that it makes on there is extremely little. You know, they can do it really good. You get something big and hoppy through there and, you know, from my experience, ones yep. I've been around, yep. you can taste a difference. Um, there are some extremely good pasteurised hoppy beers out there. Mm. Uh, look at the Epic stuff. That's fantastic. That's yep. all pasteurised. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they're doing it. I don't know what's going Epic on. in New there. Zealand. <laughs> yep, yep. Mm. So that's, <laughs> I thought you were going to jump in
1: there, I know, Well, I that
0: yes. <laughs> Yeah. So most of the Epic beers are produced by Steam that's Manufacturing, right, yes. and they um, they have just been killing it for quality for a number they of. They have. Years. Uh, I sat
2: on a panel with one of their brewers um, quite a long time ago, yeah. uh, a, a few times, and um, yeah, he was very knowledgeable. They've obviously got things set up. They're very good. Yeah. But in comparison, I've had beers that I made um, and tasted them pre and post-pasteurisation, whether I made it at other facilities. Well, actually, yeah. I didn't make them. No, were contract <laughs> made at other facilities. Yeah. And, yeah, definitely every day of the week I could tell the difference this between them. This is definitely one that
0: we've been um, wanting to, we at Brews News, have been wanting to dig into, particularly in the non-alc space. So that that's sort of on the cards yeah. is sort of – um, something that Matt's got as a – we're all allowed to have our passion projects and his passion project at the moment is in this space of um, can you taste the dis- difference between in a beer that's pasteurised or not when it is produced at that level of quality that you're talking about? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's – with with that, I would say that if you're um, – if you gave – if you know, I really don't know how well the best of them best do at the moment. I, I don't work with a pasteuriser currently um, – but I have from brewers I respect and trust say oh no they can't they can also be a thing too when you're working around it all the yeah, time yeah, you can yeah. convince yourself um, and but I'm sure that um, many of them I could taste the beer and I probably I wouldn't say to you that's pasteurised mm-hmm. but if I had it at the bright tank and then uh, I had it straight uh, yeah. out there, the there. Yeah. The contrast between you them, could yeah. you know um, and if you particularly if you're in quite attuned to that product you you could do that. however we've then got to look at then. Um, you know, for that um, mild flavor difference and ways that you can compensate around that there, and then what you're trying to achieve with that product, where you're sending that product, it just might be necessary. Mm. You can you can get by without a pasteurizer, but a pasteurizer is a really nice bit of. Um, assurance. And
0: so do you c- – could you foresee, um, you know, the way that canning lines went from being something that nobody had and mobile canning lines coming in to breweries having more interest in having craft-sized pasteurisers? Like, uh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 You yep. could see that trend yep. coming? Yep.
2: Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Cool. You know, we, we, we could see pressures um, – we could potentially see pressures from other areas to mm. – um, Lead us down that path too. So, yeah, I was
1: gonna say, like, why would you want to?
2: Yeah, Very yeah, good. yeah. Um, so good then standards. you know, it could just be from um, the own company's point of view that uh, we really need to have some assurances yep. on what we're putting out there, we need to cover ourselves off um, more. We could see it too from um, our purchases, so from, yeah, like, um, yep. Endeavour Drinks, cold. Yep. yes, they might be just they saying have to really us that we're not yeah. running a risk anymore, yeah, yep. yep. you need, um. You know, the These, first step might be say they you might need this level of lab um and assurances back to um us with that, mm. or the next step they just might say we're not stocking uh, anything that's, uh, that's and this is rise. this
0: fascinating piece that you know we've been talking about where the retailers that the the Endeavour drinks really is calling the shots. Yep. They um, have a lot of power. They to, have a lot of power in the yeah. in our beer market um in terms of pretty much everything, what will get Mm -hmm. ranged, what will get deranged, what styles are in, what styles are not in, what your labelling must look like. What um, your packaging must look like. What your pricing needs to be. Um, And uh, and then, you know, to your point, next is going to be, you know, potentially quality Quality, standards. Quality standards, yeah, Yeah,
2: absolutely. They do that with other products, um, with, you know, with food products. My brother um, works in quality assurance um, in the – Mainly in the pharmaceuticals, but has been in the uh, food industry, mm-hmm. and yeah, they have that stuff there. They, you know, they need there's things that they need them to follow, yep. um, in order to to get stuff across the line. Otherwise, yep. they're just not not yeah, interested. If we went and set up our own little uh, echinacea plant here next door, <laughs> they're not going to take our our product without yeah. knowing that because they don't yeah. want um, a problem for a consumer that buys yeah. from them. Who's their first point to to come back to legally yeah. is probably who they've. purchased it from, and so they wanted, you know, uh, assurances there. If they're going to have someone have a can explode in their hands in a store, Mm -hmm. yeah, when that happens, and that probably is going to happen at some point in time. Mm Well, it's another fascinating
0: link to – so we know that there's this energy labelling consultation going on at the moment with Food Standards Australia, New Zealand and um, the alcohol industry at large because alcohol products are one of the only products that don't need to have a full nutritional information panel on their um, on each can, bottle um, at the moment. And it's an example where everyone else in food manufacturing has one set of standards that they need to comply with and so far to date alcohol hasn't. Now that has huge ramifications in terms of, or potentially huge ramifications depending on where it goes, um, in terms of not just the labelling requirement but actually the lab tech, the testing that is needed to be able to put that on your label. Um, But it's an example where, you know, beer and alcohol is just a little bit behind the standards expected of other food products um, so
2: yes well, we don't even legally have to put our ingredients yeah, that's on right. there so um, well
1: that's because we <laughs> that's only cruel. use four. Oh so we
2: don't like oh <laughs> do we <laughs> um, um, <laughs> oh five remember times involved oh race. yeah floods went in well <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know the, the debate back has been that um, because those things aren't really in beer. It's beer is yeah. made from those things, and it's no longer those individual components, yeah. which has gotten us this far. But at some point in time, that, gonna, will, that, that will that yeah. will change, and then there will be a, uh, arguments over what is actually in the beer and oh. what is a process aid oh. up until that point too. So it's now no longer could be considered, or it's removed then by filtration. It's an early process aid, so there'll be, there'll be all sorts. Of I knew when that. I hmm.
0: was at, when I was at the Brewers Guild. Um, obviously, I was working on the consultations on that side of it, and I just remember thinking. Um, in, this is sort of inside baseball, so if you're for Zans, turn off now. But <laughs> n- the vast majority of beer that we're producing doesn't actually meet the definition of beer within all of our food standard regulations oh. because beer cannot include anything that isn't the four are mentioned yep. products. And so this question that you're talking about, what is beer and is it part of production, Does it, it is It is such a minefield that I know from the Brewers Guild perspective and I'm sure probably from the IBA perspective, we didn't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole because it got so ugly and it meant that so much of our experimental side of craft uh, would be out.
2: Right. And then there's a relation to how that ties back into the ATO's definition of beer as well. Which is hence the
0: the Mm -hmm. seltzer discussion about, you know, which which, um, but but even in
2: things that are being marketed as beer, that some of the lookers like, geez, I don't think you're really actually meeting the ATO's definition there. Mm -hmm. I kind of support what you're doing, but we have to be careful because then if that, um, if something happens and then that causes investigation, yeah, um, that can turn things really nasty and suddenly a lot of, um, We got, we got to think of the wider implications of not just what we're doing on ourselves, but what we're doing and what it does for the industry as a as a whole.
1: Great point. That's it. Um, I have one question, Ian. How essential is it to pasteurise when you're doing no alk? Uh, absolutely. A hundred thousand yeah, yeah, million. percent. Yeah, yeah. I would
2: not consider it without that. Just mm-hmm. could not consider it. Yeah. It would be too great a risk. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. Because I know
1: most people that do it at a large scale do, um, and I know even some not well, they're not new, but like sober beverages um, on the Gold Coast. Uh, they bought a pasteurizer years ago because they knew that they had to, um, even though they were contract brewing elsewhere. So they bought their own pasteurizer and put it in someone else's brewery to sh- ensure that they could make sure that their no-alcohol beer was pasteurised from day one, effectively. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting point. But I wasn't sure if everybody does it all the time
2: or… Uh, no, it, it is in… There is no way, um, apart from an R&D batch that was going to be consumed mm-hmm. um, not like by immediate. the public and immediately yeah. on site, uh, there is no way I would um, consider it without mm-hmm. pasteurisation because it goes uh, above and beyond the um, dangers that are in um, unpasteurised uh, regular beer. Um, so if, if we look at it traditionally, let's let's look at we're going to make a, a Pilsner Um and we don't pasteurise that. Um, if we've met our full attenuation, you know the dangers then are that um, re-fermentation from um, uh, contamination. Um, so we can test in and in and around that. And even if that happens there, then yes, we can have an exploding can. Um, uh, that we're going to get warning signs for that there. Mm. In something without alcohol, a food without alcohol in there, the dangers for it are that it's going to. Kill
1: you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, yes. Let's not do that then. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks for that.
0: <laughs> um, so, we have um, one more... Um item to discuss but while we do that we might start preparing our beer of the week so we've just pulled out a beer <gasps> of the week <gasps> out of the fridge and we might um let ian pour that for Ooh. us and so our beer of the week is brought to you by bluestone yeast bluestone yeast is the only liquid yeast manufacturer that takes responsibility for delivery Ooh. if the yeast doesn't <laughs> arrive in perfect condition <laughs> that you don't Have get a charged get it, get so it cracked. when covid played havoc with logistics this year this year, last year, and compromised yeast shipments, Bluestone Yeast bore the, bore the costs of the lost yeast, not the brewery. You can reach out to them at info at yeast.com.au or call Derek on... Hold your
1: horses, in. It's 7%.
0: <laughs> you can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on zero three eight five one eight three one seven two and talk... All things yeast, um, or you can find their details in the Brews News Business Directory. Um, and so <laughs> Ian, um, <laughs> oh, I'm
2: assuming this hasn't been released. Yet.
1: It has
0: just just,
2: just, just right. so that
1: was so. I was impressive. at Stone and, well, well, I've ruined it now. But I was at Stone and Wood last night, and they just had it. They didn't they hadn't even made a board for it yet, but they told me that they had it, and so I had a little taste of it.
0: Um, so Claire, what is the beer that we're um, Bluestone Yeast are uh, supporting us
1: to? taste today. It is a sparkling Shiraz Sour. It's uh, part of Stone and Woods Counterculture range. Um, And it's called Who Really Is Wayne Dubois? Cool. Go. And it's a pretty interesting camp. When I first saw it, I thought it was a state
0: of origin thing.
2: So did I. Because <laughs> yeah. like, oh, right, okay. no, it's
1: got the purple, like the maroon, the maroon yeah. and the blue. And this is so
0: sort of how um, Queensland we are. Um, <laughs> that, that was the first thing I thought of. So that's a bit ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but we thought it was, um, you know, the counterculture range are pretty interesting, and we thought, um, well, I love. Shiraz, um, so we thought we might see how it goes in a so beer. So I'm actually,
2: um, you know, this is not the medium for people to be able to see that I'm doing this, but I've been photographing the beer and now I'm photographing the the can and um, <laughs> I'm straight away sending it right now to my partner because she works in, in beer stores and she hadn't bought this one home yet and we she really loves um, sparkling Shiraz. So I'm going to oh, go, well, why haven't I not heard of this So, so do
0: I. So Claire and I are social tasters. Yes. We are social not... We social are drinkers in general. social yeah. we are not um, skilled palate yeah, describers not sensory, of people. sensory people, so we'll be relying on you for that piece of
2: That's it. That's assuming that <laughs> I am.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm be. making that very significant assumption.
2: Wow, it really does smell like no. a, a sharkling spiraz.
0: Um so this says uh, who is Wayne Dubois? Born in southern France but stationed all over the globe, international can of mystery Wayne Dubois recently fell into the hands of the fiends at Counterculture Lab. Uh, his sparkling Shiraz heart was fermented alongside the finest Australian pale and wheat malts and Tetnang hops with a oh. selected Shiraz yeast strain and lactobacillus making him a soft and refreshing refreshing presence. Sour by name, but not by reputation. Wayne casts a ruby hue and fills the air with sense of berry and white
1: pepper.
2: Yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> this, this This actually
2: really does taste like a sparkling charrette. Um, it's delightful.
0: Yeah, it's really nice. So what's fascinating about this, um, and we actually have this uh, later on, I don't know if this is a, a place to link it, um, but – in our mailbag, we received. We had a really interesting conversation uh, last week mm-hmm. about um, beer and wine, perceptions about beer and wine and really around a can. And we received a really lovely email um, from Joe Cook, um, who is now beer fans, uh, previously Riot Wine, about um, the uh, wine in a can. And he provided mm-hmm. a lot of really nice information and it's so lovely – when someone reaches out to sort of help educate us but he made this comment about you know is there a perception issue of about wine in a can and it was talking about at right they talked about it as an education issue and the reason this whole discussion came up was Claire's point about wine going in a can brings that perception of it back and Mm. we've been seeing this sort of the rise of Italian um, grape ales, this sort of coming together of wine and beer. There seems to be this increasingly blurring of the category and this is a pretty nice... Um this is one mm. of the
2: better, very better examples I've seen of this style. Um, I'm going to have another one of these tonight <laughs> for sure. Um, we might even if, have one for if, you. If I, had, um, if, if I had some influence and input onto this, I would actually take it out of the can and put it into a bottle. <laughs> now you're there you pre- you're reached to the converted because <laughs> yes, I really love, love all my fancy well, uh, beers in bottles. There is an aesthetic <laughs> reason to it um, yeah. in, in that oh, well. Oh, that's where I was at. So. Um, well, I, I'm, I'm big into that too. So, you know, I... Was a sommelier before a, a brewer, right. so I'm very much into that. that did know that either. about
0: you. Yes. So, you? So you were um, sommelier, and then you spent 12 years in radio, 10 years in radio.
2: Uh, 12 years in radio. I did radio from the time I was 15 years old. Wow. I was going to say, um, are you immortal, know yes. you so <laughs> you, You've so many expertise in
1: you. You've got a radio.
0: you got a voice for radio.
2: I've got a face <laughs> for radio. <laughs> no, that's not
0: okay, true. so you're sommelier in a can.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, so part of that is for that aesthetic there, but more important than that, because we can kind of get around that, but more um, – I would actually like to see the CO2 level elevated in this um, mm. this beer to go more in line with that sparkling Shiraz thing, and you just can't do that in a can. Um,
1: oh, okay. The
2: only way to do that is by a bottle conditioning. Um, and so, um, yeah, you put it in a bottle and, like, that's probably got – 2.5 to 2.7 volumes of CO2 um, in that. Uh, I'd like to see that at three and a half, four volumes of CO2 and you can't can't fill a can so, that way. So,
0: you know what's fascinating? I would never have um, me personally wouldn't have picked this can off the shelf um, but when I saw it was a sparkling Shiraz Sour, I was like, great, I've got to try that because that's right up my alley for all the reasons we've talked about. But it's in a large can at 7%. So to me, it's like – it's obviously a can that's made to be shared. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, volu- the, the the size means that you're pouring it out mm-hmm. and sharing it anyway. So the other
2: interesting thing is that, that um, the title Sparkling Shiraz Sour is right down in small on the bottom. Yeah. To be honest, I would have passed this can over. So
0: would I. Oh, I would have ha- just gone and
2: gone, and, yeah, it's something hazy. I'll keep moving.
0: So would um, I. So interesting. would I. I. And yet um, – And yet, because I saw what it was, it's a really beautiful beer, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Lovely beer. Yeah.
0: So um, thank you to Bluestone Yeast for the opportunity for us to discuss the um, who really is Wayne
1: DuBois. Um, or drink it 10.45. I,
2: <laughs> oh, I, had, I had some real fear set in when opening that. They're just like, oh, no, what happens if I really don't like this? Oh, beer? yeah, oh, that's Shut it. up for yeah, a few that's fact, I have have I'd, already had,
1: I'd already had it beforehand. I knew it wasn't bad. But I wasn't sure what you'd think as a, as a proper expert. As a proper <laughs> the amount of beer I
2: pour down the sink each week week um is incredible it's through yep. rocky we get a lot of um mm-hmm. samples of stuff yeah. for, yes. for her to try and mm-hmm. so forth and to me life's just too short to drink yeah crap, yeah. crap if yeah. it's not you know it's not good mm-hmm. and yep. so i often just two sips and it's like yeah, yeah. Down the,
1: the tight yorkshire woman in me makes me finish it but it's painful <laughs>
0: so um that is pro. I mean, we're doing lots of segues, but there's a nice time. So, the last article that we haven't discussed below the fold is about these um, craft trends predicted to reach mainstream menus. And so, this came out of um, a conference in the a conference presentation in the US, but it was really, um, to your point, Claire, taking data around these sort of mainstream US. Um, restaurant chains, which we don't have in quite the same way here in Australia, although we've got sort of hotels that have got big groups, mm-hmm. and really looking at what's on their menu and what are people buying mm-hmm. versus what is the craft beer bubble really into. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, Ian, you mentioned the standout here was kind of talking about, you know, 8% of the menus have a hazy on them um, yep. and yet that's just such a massive – and it's yeah, up a from huge zero. part
1: of – the brewing industry now and the fact that this is we and this is what the kind of data we need in the industry he looked at four thousand eight hundred restaurant menus top five were ipa lager ale pilsner and a pale ale um i think that's to be expected in a main in mainstream i'm quite surprised that a an ipa made it actually um onto a mainstream beer menu um that was quite impressive but the fact is that they are still really tiny parts of these beer menus, but I guess they're growing. Mm. Yeah, the, I, I've
2: kind of misread it then when I first looked at it, and then had to rethink back there through there. I thought it was talking more in the general beer industry, and not mm. looking at a, at, a, at a wider thing. Okay. So this is even more interesting. But it's still that validity to that that um, hazy is only on eight percent of, of of menus, whereas in our little bubble around yep. small breweries, um, it just seems to be everywhere. everywhere. Um, but you get the loud voices that, um, because they love Instagram, like Hazy IPAs. Mm. Um, sorry, I'm putting a slur on Hazy IPAs there. Um, <laughs> Never. And um, uh, uh, th- it's a loud voice in, in, in there. And so it seems to be bigger and pull through than what it is. Same mm-hmm. as like the fruited sours, um, yep. you know, kettle sour section yep. of the, the market too. Mm-hmm. It's this loud voice. Um, Movement in there, but is it really getting the the pull through into into the wider market? Mm-hmm. And we we do when we look at this because it's across. Um, you know, having done um, started in 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 doing that side and being in that area of of the industry and working in in putting um, menus together for places. It's I look at it um, really sharply every time yeah. I, I go to eat somewhere. It's like, what have they got there, and make a make an assessment on how well they've done mm-hmm. with the space that they've they've gone. And some you go like. Eh, not really anything I'm interested in, but you know what? That's all right. Um others are like, Are you freaking kidding me? That is your attempt. It particularly annoys me at places where they've got a fantastic I love wine too. Mm-hmm. They've got a fantastic wine list and it's Kill like mate, it you, down, haven't, you, you just haven't even you haven't even given this a shot, you no. know. But that's no.
0: this perception of that wine is fancy and deserves time and thought and beer is beer, right? Like that's this whole thing that craft beer kind of rails against. And that's why this sort of education beyond the craft beer bubble. You know, we talk about there are lots of people who spend a lot of time thinking about craft beer, voting, being on untapped, engaging. But there's a whole audience beyond that that are actually the one the consumers that we want to bring to craft beer. And part of the way that we do that is not going, beer's just beer. Right? Like actually, actually there is this complex world to beer just like there is with wine. And if you could wrap your head around that, yep. you and can it, wrap your head around this if we, uh-huh. if we present the opportunity, serve it up in the right way.
2: And it doesn't mean that your uh, list has to have uh, beer from extremely rare little breweries and no. things that are just Agreed. unapproachable to most people. Yep. But you can put together a small and concise list that covers mm-hmm. a few bases of flavour profiles and is um, uh, approachable enough for someone that is – um, just really not that into beer, but also there for someone who really truly is into beer mm. can go. You know what? That's that's a pretty good beer. Yeah. I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to drink that. Exactly.
1: And it's so unusual that you put so much effort into a wine list, and then you just that's just a it's,
2: secondary it's thought. It's, ter- it's very weird, it's isn't it? Terribly common. We've we've seen it in um, uh, a number of places. Um, sometimes it really annoys me when I can look at the list and then I can look back at their um, wines and I can tell they've done a. Deal based one, off yeah, of the Other there, and it's like, uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> you are really lazy um, at this. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, that that annoys me um, uh, a fair bit. We uh, Rocky and I have had um, you know a bit of, bit of success over, uh, over time because um, she's quite well connected through the through the wine circles and the wine bars and that. And places have actually got a little bit embarrassed then that we're coming there and and not drinking the beer going for their wine and then sort of questioning us back then why and go, all right, okay, yeah, you're right, we we need to um, make a move on 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 this. Um, I looked at a restaurant menu um, in Melbourne for when we're down for the ARBAs in a few weeks' time. There's a, a restaurant we really, we really wanted to go to. Um, it's a French restaurant and their beer list was Appalling. Oh, their wine God. list was in Melbourne. Was, was beautiful. Oh, I'm The their beer by list that. Was, was, was appalling. Um was it just so,
1: like major brewer?
2: Or no, actually they had two smaller brewers oh one of them's been absorbed um, up the two smaller brewers um, on there, but it was just they weren't the right selection for their... And they're probably for their not, food. For their food yeah. and for their venue. So yeah. they're not going to get the pull through um, on, from their, their beer list and so they're not making the money out of that. Yep. And you're particularly in that case there where you're going to have people coming in and it's not a cheap place to eat. Yep. So they're going to want to um, spend some dollars but then maybe they're not wanting wine. Yeah. Uh, they're wanting beer but then it's not going to be the beer that's going to pull through for them mm. so they'll have one... And move on and not have another drink mm-hmm. um, instead of getting a couple of sales through them. There, it, it's mm-hmm. just economically, it wasn't the white way, not even just mm-hmm. talking because, about yeah. me but it's as the a rancor. Class- <laughs> yeah. it.
0: <laughs> but it's the classic, you know. Matt um, does a lot of this um, in his own right, Matt Kierkegaard. But you know, we talk about it a lot in the certainly out of the US, um, you know, the US Brewers Association has an executive chef as part of their team. And something that, you know, Matt talks a lot about is food and beer pairings. And, you know, um, off mic, Ian, you and I were talking about, you know, there's the classic, the food being served at brew pubs is American barbecue and so – and then they just have their hazies and that's what life looks like, right? You go into a pub and that's what you get. But there is actually – you can curate a beer list that meets French cuisine – Dining. Absolutely, and yes. so, but but we're just, um, but that isn't occurring. And so, you know, the example that you give, you would expect to ask your sommelier, "What would I like with? I'm going to order this food. What would pair with that? And if you can't ask the same person who's serving you, what are the beers that would match with these foods? Because they've got no idea. Because nobody in the entire establishment has spent three seconds thinking about it. Um, you're actually doing your diners a disservice. You're leaving money on the yep. table, yep. Um, and and for us as a beer industry, you're not educating people that actually beer can can be consumed with fine dining French food. Yes. So it's you know we got work to do, people.
2: Oh, absolutely,
0: That's
2: what Sabrina this, says to me every day. <laughs> the standards in this could go a long could go a long way, and to some degree, I think we're actually recessed. We 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 um to what we were. Um, years I think ago. we've
0: got it's it's interesting. I reckon we're on the my. I would like to think. Because we're starting to think about some of those more traditional beer styles, so we're sort of uh, as a as a beer as a craft beer industry and leaving all the uh, definers aside, we're coming out the other side. We're starting to talk about this increased lagers and pilsners being produced by small breweries. We're definitely saying seeing a resurgence amongst a whole host of traditional beer styles. So, you know, your Czech pilsners, your Italian pilsners. We're seeing some of these great ales and those more traditional food those more traditional beers are actually easier to match with food because they have been being done so for for such a long period of time that actually maybe we can use that as a gateway to reinvigorate this conversation <laughs> around Food and beer pairing. That's my, oh, yeah. That's my dream is that we use this opportunity of this resurgence of old styles to to dig into that question because that's where there's such an opportunity to bring new participants to beer, new consumers to beer. Absolutely, yes. And new consumers with money.
2: Yes. Um
0: <laughs> So, um, if you want to take your beer out of the tap room and into the hands of your consumers, Scar Fabricating oh. has you covered. <laughs>
1: she is on fire today. Such so support a smooth operator. <laughs> so
0: support for this episode comes from Scar Fabricating. Scar Fabricating builds reliable, automated packaging line equipment that is handcrafted to make life easier for breweries and their production teams. Scar Fabricating has developed a wide range of depalletizers, custom convey. Conveyance, date coating, rinsing and drying systems, and more. Scarfab specialises in helping breweries of all sizes get their beer from keg to can. To find out more about how Scarfabricating can help you sell more beer, visit www.scarfabricating.com today. That's SKA fabricating.com to get started today, or you can find their details in the Brews News directory. Mailbag. Mailbag. Um, in my mind, that's the <laughs> thing. Wow, that
2: comes across so different on the air. <laughs> oh, wow. It's amazing the difference I know. that makes. She's a, she's a
1: many talented
2: woman. I'm also, must say, I'm a little bit disappointed when we move to Below the Fold. Mm-hmm. And I was expecting that one of you had really practised that. <laughs> the unfurling rustle. the newscape <laughs> to just have it sound exactly the same each week.
0: Our mailbag is brought to you thanks to NZ Altrail. Trail. Head to ww. nzl trail or at nzl trail on social media to find the best beer experiences in New Zealand Um, and so we briefly mentioned it before but Joe Cook uh, now beer fans wrote this wonderful um, long email um, about um, wine in cans and all the reasons for it um, and you know really provided some comprehensive answers so that was really lovely but his point was um, I like to drink cold cold wines from cans and pour the ambient temperature wine reds into a glass and I was like well that's how I like to drink my beer right (laughs) you know if it's a fancy beer I pour Mm. it into a glass if it's a cold lager I'll drink it straight out of the can Mm. you know
1: so what do you think some proper wine snobs would say about canned wine there they wouldn't be into it would they
0: Well, that's – I mean, he's made the point that at Riot we talked about it being an education issue. If you know the wine is stored better and has higher quality, you'd be happy to drink it from a can. And he was sort of making the point that actually it's a really safe way to store wine,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: a really good way to store wine. So um, lots of really interesting things in there. Um, So, yeah, thanks, Joe for your contribution. Um, Any other news that anybody wants to – Tap into. I mean, your um, old mates are here, Claire.
2: I was about to say, wasn't there a bit of Brews News bingo to go on? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>.
0: <laughs>
2: We've got a
1: couple. A couple knocking around.
0: Well, maybe we'll just list <clears throat> them. Um, new Brew directors terminate the Ballarat land deal.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> listeners among us who have played Brews News bingo uh, will know that we followed Brew a lot. I just wanted to say on this front that um, we mentioned a few weeks ago that Brew has new management. Now, they are doing a huge... Strategy review of Brew, as you'd expect. I mean, I'm sure the scrap of paper that it was written on was difficult to go through. Um, but with this one, uh, they've sacked off this land deal that they were trying to do to get rid of land and make themselves some more money in Ballarat. Now, for the first time in probably two and a half years, I actually spoke to one of the new directors and right. he messaged me immediately back when I asked for a um, comment and he cu- he picked up the second I asked and he was in another meeting. Um, that's the kind of uh, communication I like when this is happening. <laughs> um, so I'm kind of hopeful that we might see, and th- God th- forbid, that we might see a little bit more from Brew wow. in a good way from the new management. Cool. but. Don't hold me to that. I don't trust myself anymore with Brew. It's taken me on a roller coaster over these years. So uh, who knows? That's a little
0: bit of bingo for you. (laughs) And so um, we're coming up on an hour. And so... I just wanted to—we um, had a quick ch- chat off mic, but um, Claire did an interview recently with Kyle Pearson at Alice Springs Brewery, um, and that dropped uh, overnight. So if you're waiting for your weekly beer as a conversation, we apologise for the delay. Um, there was some technical challenges, and you'll hear that the sound quality isn't so great, um, in part because um, of the Alice Springs location and some of the challenges, but. Some of the issues that Kyle was talking about, um, and Ian, we thought we might get your take on how you guys are doing, but you know, the COVID impacts of um, staffing off with COVID, sort of still not having turned the corner in terms of having uh, backpackers and the tourist economy back. And so, this sort of long tail of COVID impacts that are still. Um, seemingly to hit breweries at different times. Um, Ian, are you seeing that in your work? Oh,
2: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Since um, December last year, um, that's been a, a, a big thing. Um, and that's across two breweries I've been at in, in that period um, and we've had impact from it and it seems to come in waves. Um, we can hit a little bit hard at the moment, which is putting um, pressure on Um and then also too, you know, people haven't had leave over periods and people are, uh, are starting to get run down over the, the period of what's happened over the last few years. So people are needing, leaving, um, needing leave, then you're getting people uh, getting COVID and often, you know, it's pretty common that they've come to work before they've realised yeah. they've got it and then so you don't just get that one person, but often it'll... A couple A of others will on, go down yeah. around that same time there there too. Um, so at Black Ops um, in December, we were we were hit pretty hard. Um, uh, production had hurt, but we, we we could pull through the hospitality side. Hit pretty hard, and we had the hospitality yeah. um, manager saying, "Hey, mm-hmm. uh, anyone in the company with an RSA that wants a shift, you know, <laughs> you know please, anyone. please, yeah, please help." Like Kyle, um, the
1: founder of the brewery, was working behind the bar when I talked to him. And I was like, "I mean, not that you wouldn't or whatever, but it's got to the point where it's big enough where you, the founder, doesn't need to work behind the bar." And he was like, "I just got no choice. I just have to." <laughs> yeah, someone,
2: someone, it, it has to get yeah. done, and we've we've had that um uh, with ballistic too. our hospitality side of the um, business has been been hit hard, and we've had to um. Not open some venues yeah. on some nights because we just didn't have enough of a, a team there to, to run it. We're definitely yeah. seeing yeah. that
0: in New Zealand now. You're seeing seeing that increasingly. But I think, you know, that point that you made, um around people have stored their vacation time over the last two years essentially not taking much of their annual leave entitlements because you know they're working from home or so on and so forth and those have backed up now and now people the world is opening up again and people want to travel do things get out of their homes get out of their towns and Mm -hmm. so you're seeing this leave accumulation you know, people are going to want to take those yeah. all at the same time. It's going to be a bit of a challenge for businesses. Exactly.
1: And after the two years, like with the Dan Murphys MD, he's originally from the UK. He's going back home. Yeah. I've seen that a lot. That people who either uh, emigrated over here or moved to a different city, they're now going back to where their families are because if this ever happens again, they want to be within earshot of them um, yeah. rather than well, miles how, away.
0: That's how Lion attracted their new MD back, right? Like, so he came back to Australia from mm-hmm. overseas, and so it's got the flip side where we're recruiting talent back from around the world because people are like, we don't want to be stuck on so the wrong far side away, of the border. Yeah, absolutely. That wraps up another week of The News You Need to Know. Your hosts have been me, Sabrina Kunz, Claire Burnett and our guest, Ian Watson. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Crymalt, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, Scar Fabricating, Bluestone Yeast, Owl Trail and Thirsty Merchants for their support in making this episode possible. Thank you to you all for listening. Share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at bruisenews.com.au or leave a review on your favourite podcasting service and we're out.
1: Boom.